0: Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. The Drug Enforcement Administration recently sent warnings to federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies about a nationwide spike in fentanyl-related mass overdose events. This is an issue that the Upstate New York Poison Center is very familiar with And today I'm talking about it with its medical director, Dr. Vincent Kaleo. Welcome back to The Informed Patient, Dr. Kaleo.
1: Amber, thank you. It's great to be here.
0: This warning from the DEA said that fentanyl is killing Americans at an unprecedented rate. Can you explain what
1: fentanyl is? Fentanyl is an opioid medication, and very commonly it's used to treat pain in the emergency department or in the hospital setting. Now sometimes it can be used uh, on an outpatient basis as well and most commonly we see this as a prescription for something like a fentanyl patch where it's applied to the skin and it helps to deliver pain control over a longer period of time. So when used from a prescription standpoint, fentanyl is a medication that can be very helpful for a lot of individuals but when it's taken or used from a non-prescribed standpoint that's where we can run into trouble.
0: So it can be used legitimately with a prescription. A doctor can prescribe it and people might be taking it. Um, How addictive is it, even if it's prescribed?
1: Yeah, so like any of the opioid medications, it does have the potential to develop long-term dependence if it's used, particularly for a longer period of time. So there definitely is that potential to develop an addiction to it if it's used for, for an extended period of time there.
0: What effects does it have on the body?
1: So it depends. So in the overdose setting, it's a little bit different than when people use it therapeutically or like we would in the hospital or from a prescription standpoint. Most commonly, it can be used to help improve pain when there's a condition that's causing that. But in the overdose setting or when too much is taken, you can develop some pretty scary and life-threatening conditions, including decreased ability to breathe and a change in your mental status such that you may not be awake or be able to protect your airway, for example, if you were to vomit.
0: When fentanyl is misused, how is it misused? Is it, is it smoked or injected or swallowed or what form is it in?
1: So there can be a lot of different forms that people can misuse fentanyl and very commonly it's actually accidentally misused. So what we found is that over the last several years, there has been a large increase in the number of contaminated recreational substances that are out there. Some of the ones that we see commonly are things including heroin or even cocaine But now we've actually been seeing over the last few years, there have been some increases in medications you can swallow as well that have fentanyl contaminated within those two. So depending on the route, it can be used in several different ways. So that could include, you know, smoking, injecting, or being swallowed, along with even dermally on the skin if people are using a fentanyl patch or something like that, if it's not prescribed to them.
0: So do you believe that many of the overdose victims had no idea that they were ingesting fentanyl?
1: Yeah, you know, sadly, that's one thing that we have been, um, you know, hearing in the last several years is that a lot of people that are buying some of their recreational substances of use, they don't actually know what's in those substances. And in many cases, someone who has, you know, a uh, heroin use disorder, for example, may use the normal amount of heroin that they typically use. But if they're not aware that it's contaminated with something like fentanyl, they could actually become much sicker and potentially develop significant life-threatening complications, including respiratory depression, where their ability to breathe is decreased, or mental status depression, where they can't protect their airway and they may choke if they vomit, for example. So yeah, a lot of people are unaware that they have a product that's been contaminated with fentanyl.
0: So the, the dealers that are producing and selling these drugs on the street... If fentanyl is such a dangerous substance, why would the drug traffickers secretly mix
1: it into their drug products? Well, you know, I feel like there are probably a lot of different answers to this question and many of which I don't know the answer to. Uh, But one of the reasons it's commonly placed in products is it does, you know, in many cases give someone a more powerful high. That's one of the reasons to develop, you know, an increased addiction potential to the substance. Now, sometimes they will mix it with other substances, including, um, you know, cocaine um, or uh, a number of other things, too, that are not necessarily opioids like heroin is. But they oftentimes will mix it in with other substances, too. And it's it's hard to say the exact reason all the time, but in many cases, it's to increase the addiction potential.
0: You mentioned uh, that it could be transmitted dermally through the skin. Would a drug trafficker you know face danger if they're working with fentanyl to mix it would it potentially you know get into their skin when they didn't intend for it to
1: you know so that's actually a great question amber and a really salient one to what we've been seeing a lot of in the news lately which are concerns for first responders including police officers and you know ems and fire uh, fighters being exposed to or potentially exposed to fentanyl the good news is you know if you're looking at the data coming from. Um, some of the various toxicology experts in the in the country what they put out as a position statement kind of states that in order to get toxicity from dermal exposure so skin exposure or even inhaled exposure you really have to have a lot of exposure for a prolonged period of time essentially meaning that it's really unlikely for an accidental dermal exposure to result in clinically significant symptoms and those include the changes in the mental status or the change in the breathing abilities. So it's actually really, really rare and unusual for that to happen. Um, Fentanyl, even as a patch, if you put it on, it requires a special vehicle in order to get into the body. And usually that takes a few hours after you put it on your skin. So it would be really unusual for an accidental small exposure to the skin to result in clinically significant symptoms. A while back, we heard about carfentanyl. Can you tell me about the difference between carfentanyl and fentanyl? Yeah, of course. Um, So carfentanil is a medication that is also an opioid-like substance. So in some ways, it's similar to fentanyl in the way that it works on the receptors in the body. But it is different in the sense that it's a much more potent version of that. And it's about 10,000 times more potent than morphine, whereas fentanyl is only about 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine. There was a lot of concern, uh, you know, particularly several months ago, that there was some increased exposure to this substance. And fortunately, at least within our area, we haven't had very many recorded cases of a confirmed carfentanyl exposure, though it is something we always are concerned about.
0: This is Upstate's The Informed Patient podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Vincent Caleo, the medical director of the Upstate New York Poison Center. Now, the Drug Enforcement Administration mentioned several mass overdose events involving fentanyl where more than three people overdose around the same time in the same location in cities in Florida, Texas, Nebraska, Colorado, Missouri, and Washington, D.C. They said in recent months there were 58 overdoses, including 29 deaths. Do you know how many fentanyl-related deaths have been recorded in central New York?
1: I don't know the exact numbers for all of Central New York, but I did recently review some of the data from the Onondaga Health um, website there. And what it looks like is that over the course of the uh, last year or so in 2021, it was reported that of the 139 deaths that were from opioids within the Onondaga region, um, it reported that about 91% of those deaths were fentanyl related and uh, about 38 were possibly from fentanyl and heroin related together. So that makes up the vast majority of that number. And so uh, I'd say that at least in Daga County, a good number or a large number of those deaths was related to fentanyl in some way, shape, or form. So this is
0: a threat here that we need to be kind of mindful of. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what do you think makes the difference between life and death? Because I saw that, you know, there's a lot of overdoses, but maybe half resulted in death. What yeah. determines who lives and dies?
1: Well, again, there are a lot of different pieces that really go into that equation. But I think one of the biggest things that can help reduce the number of deaths is going to be early administration of naloxone, which is an antidote to help people breathe again. And in addition to that, it's good supportive care, which is essentially helping people to breathe. So if you notice anyone who is found down and there's a naloxone kit available, administering that may be the difference that may help that person live And early um, healthcare treatment, including calling 911 and getting someone who can help the patient breathe on their own or assist with it early on, may be the big difference between life and death because the vast majority of deaths that occur from fentanyl overdoses tend to be related to hypoxia, which is a condition where there's not enough oxygen in the blood. And in many of these cases, it's because the body is unable to breathe as it normally does as a result of the exposure to the fentanyl.
0: When a person who's overdosed uh, arrives in the emergency department, the doctors aren't going to know what they took necessarily. How do they find out whether it's fentanyl or do they just, at this point, assume that it is and treat
1: for that? So in addition to working as a poison center doctor here or a toxicologist, I also work in the emergency department too, and I've encountered this situation not uncommonly. Now, when we think about opioids as a whole, which fentanyl falls into that opioid category, what we really think about is a collection of signs and symptoms that we typically see when come, or someone comes in. To be honest with you, when I'm an emergency doctor and I'm seeing someone who's coming in after an opioid you know, overdose, it doesn't really matter to me acutely what they took that caused their symptoms, but more importantly, what I'm going to do to treat them. So if I look at them and I have a history for an opioid exposure, or I see a collection of signs and symptoms, including that change in mental status and that decreased ability to breathe, one of the highest things on my list for what could be causing this is an opioid and the most important thing like I alluded to earlier is helping the patient to breathe early on and getting their oxygen levels back up and if we're able to what we typically will consider giving will be some doses of naloxone though again the dose and how much we give to these patients will kind of depend on a case-by-case basis but in general um, you know the bigger thing when we're seeing patients come into the emergency department is focusing on treating them and helping them to breathe, making sure that they're protecting their airway and supporting them in all the other ways they need is going to be the the first thing of importance on my list.
0: I understand from October 2020 to October 2021, more Americans died of drug overdose than from gun and auto-related deaths combined. Aside from raising awareness as we're doing right now, are you aware of efforts to reverse that trend?
1: There's a lot of stuff that's been going on in the public health sphere, including, you know, a push to make people aware of naloxone and how to administer it. Because like I alluded to earlier, having early and quick access to naloxone administration could be the difference between life and death for a number of different people. And it's really, really important to help people to recognize what some of the signs and symptoms are, because early recognition and early treatment can really help to save a life. And so I think it's really important to make people aware of what to watch out for, what a overdose from fentanyl or really any opioid may look like, and what steps can be taken to help try to mitigate that or reduce the the harm from the exposures.
0: For people who purchase illicit drugs and, you know, they don't know what's in them necessarily, is there any way that they can protect themselves or is there any way that they can verify that what they're about to take doesn't have fentanyl?
1: Yeah, you know, there are a number of different things out there, um, and there actually are some fentanyl test strips that people can use. Um, There are different ways that these can be utilized, but in many cases, what will happen is if people take a small amount of the substance and test it with one of the strips through the steps that are provided in an individual kit, it does, in many cases, show if there is some fentanyl in there. Though I always do urge people to take this with a grain of salt because tests are not always perfect. And if you take an entire batch of a substance there, there may be a small portion that you're testing that may not contain the fentanyl, but it might be in other parts of the batch. Or it might just be that the test is not perfect at detecting it. So there are things that we call false positives and false negatives. So it could be that the test that you're doing, even if it comes back negative, may not necessarily be safe. It's something to certainly consider. And I would consider recommending to people if they wanted to test for that. There are things out there. But just remember, no test is perfect, and the safest thing is to not use those substances. Right. One other thing, though,
0: in New York State, the naloxone, you can purchase without a prescription, right, to have... Yep, that's correct. ...at the ready. Now, for people who overdose on fentanyl but don't die,
1: I'm wondering what the recovery is like. It really depends on the person, and a large part of that depends on how quickly they receive treatment and how low, in particular, their oxygen levels may have dropped. For most people after an overdose, if they receive very rapid health care administration as well as administration of naloxone in a lot of cases, the majority of people actually recover very well as long as they don't have any significant um, prolonged period of decreased oxygen to the body and the brain. Most people will do well if there hasn't been significant um, what we call downtime where they have been unresponsive or not breathing for a while. Though, you know, sadly, in some cases where people have had prolonged downtime or they had, you know, a significant amount of time without oxygen getting to the brain or the rest of their body, those can have very significant and poor long-term outcomes. Though fortunately, early treatment and administration of healthcare can help to really improve a patient's likelihood of having a full recovery.
0: Will their bodies crave more of a drug that almost killed them?
1: The way the receptors in the body work are very, very complicated. And there are lots of things that we in the healthcare field don't fully understand, but are trying to study more and more fully. But one thing that we do know is that the opioid receptors in the body still are firing. And from the physiologic standpoint, or the standpoint that affects the body, there is that very high likelihood of that dependence still being there and the body still craving it, even if it's a substance that could have potentially resulted in significant harm.
0: Interesting. Well, I appreciate you making time for this interview, Dr. Kaleo.
1: Absolutely, and thanks so much for having me, Amber.
0: My guest has been the medical director of the Upstate New York Poison Center, Dr. Vincent Kaleo. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu slash informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.